must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Feel, and I'm joined by a longtime friend of the podcast, Dr. Kenneth Miller, and his co-author, Dr. Melissa Bednarek. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to, to talk about uh, all things textbook related. We have not had an episode about this yet, so uh, you guys fresh off a new textbook being released. I'm excited to talk to you guys about this stuff. So I guess, uh, Melissa, let's start with you. If you wouldn't mind, tell our audience a little bit about your academic journey and how it led you to where you are today. So uh, great to be here. Thanks for asking us to join you. So I've uh, been a clinician for 20 plus years, sort of, you know, background in acute care. And during that time, I sort of found myself enjoying teaching, whether that was patients, whether that was other healthcare providers in the hospital setting. So I was like, hmm, I might be interested in students. Um, so I actually went back to school for a terminal degree and have now been teaching at Chatham University for uh, approaching 13 years. So, you know, I've taken my additional clinical experience in home health and pulmonary rehab and sort of, you know, I'm able to kind of bring the, the clinic to the classroom. So teaching and certainly part of an academic position being scholarship. So uh, that's sort of how I got to this point. Yeah, that's awesome. I kind of did something similar. I was in the clinic for about 15 years, a lot of outpatient ortho. I thought I was going to be an ortho bro for life. And then, you know, took a couple different turns, ended up in geriatrics. And all of a sudden I'm doing home health and sniff predominantly and, uh, you know, worked on my terminal degree, but I didn't think I was going to use it. And then COVID hit and things kind of shifted pretty rapidly and they needed somebody to teach geriatrics and uh, wound care and intro to patient care and stuff. And I fit the bill. So that, that worked out pretty well. Uh, Ken, if you wouldn't mind, can tell our audience a little bit about uh, your academic journey? Cause I know you're kind of new to the state of Texas now. So catch us up to where you're at now and what you're up to. So I know that you and I know this, but not everyone knows this, uh, that we uh, grew up in the same area in New York on Long Island and I slip. And uh, it's funny that I focus on balance early in my career since it's called I slip. Uh, but back, thanks again for having me here for the broadcast. As far as my background, I started uh, when I first graduated, I started in pediatrics for a couple of years. And after a couple of years working in pediatrics, uh, my back started to bother me being on the ground and doing all of the kneeling and, and bending and things like that. So I decided I needed to work where I could sit on a stool and you know, be on a higher, you know, a mat or whatever. So I ended up working in uh, geriatrics and I loved it. And I have had a long career in geriatrics working in home health. 
And I started as a clinician for the first 10 years of my career. And then after practicing about 10 years, I decided I wanted to do something more. So then I went back to my transitional DPT. I finished that in two years and that really opened up many other doors for me. And that's what started me in teaching. So I was an adjunct at Toro College for, uh, for over 10 years. And so um, three years ago, I took a full-time position at the University of North Texas Health Science Center in the Department of Physical Therapy. And that's uh, in Fort Worth. And I've been there now, like I said, three years. And my area of expertise and practice and uh, education for the students is development in geriatrics, pharmacology, cardiopulmonary. I love working with the older adults and sharing that knowledge with the students have been really rewarding. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, for whatever reason, geriatrics really has been way more fun than I ever imagined it would be. And I love the population. I love working with them. So now I love teaching about it. You know, uh, it's good when, when it all kind of falls in line like that. So if you guys wouldn't mind, uh, let's start off with this one. This is kind of a big one, but let's start off with your why behind writing a textbook. What, what was your reasoning for it? What, what pushed you to do this? Uh, Melissa, let's start with you and then we'll come back to Ken. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know if I sort of, you know, woke up one day and was like, oh, this would be a new, a new adventure. So I actually recently shared with Ken the story, you know, in my office, you know, uh, at uh, Chatham, you know, they always recommend above your computer to have some sort of picture or something, you know, not necessarily your degrees, but, you know, when you kind of look away from the screen. So what I chose to put there was actually a poster I had that was sort of, I think, kind of become my mantra. And it's, you know, nice picture of a lighthouse and everything, but it says success. You know, the secret of success in life is to be ready for opportunity when it comes. So it's just sort of, you know, that's sort of how I almost kind of ended up here. So I had an opportunity a number of years ago to um, join an initiative actually that Ken was at the, the root of. So just again, even before we knew each other um, and essentially it involves an advanced competency in home health. Um, so certification in home health, um, and sort of I got involved in it through and was asked to write a pharmacology module. Um, so that program is up and running and you know, I've been, it's been a real pleasure to be able to be a part of it. And basically that module sort of caught the eye of the author of the, the, the textbook. So Chacon's pharmacology um, textbook, um, as he approaches uh, retirement, you know, the, the publisher was looking forward to sort of continue on. It's a you know, certainly well-respected uh, textbook in the field. They kind of found my work on the APTA Learning Center and sort of reached out. And, um, you know, so that's sort of how I got connected. And then sort of along this time, this was around the be very beginning of the pandemic. And through another sort of connection, I actually sort of just reached out to Ken. Literally was just like, you don't really know me. You know, kind of have similar backgrounds. Actually, my clinical background is primarily in cardiovascular and pulmonary. Um, and I know Ken has done some work in that as well as pharma, you know, pharmacology. So we kind of collaborated on another couple of projects. So, you know, one thing led to another and we kind of joined and, you know, we had the opportunity at this point to be co-editors for an updated uh, fifth edition uh, that was just released. So, you know, again, I think back to that poster, you know, sort of just be ready for opportunity when it comes. I couldn't have predicted this path, um, but just sort of taking advantage of the opportunities as they come along. Yeah, the poster I have over my computer is a kitten hanging off of the tree, and it says, hang in there, you know, so totally hear you on the, the, the motivational posters. I probably need to up my game a little bit, though, it sounds like. <laughs> and how about you? What, what was your why behind this project and really getting, getting into the, into the nitty gritty of it? So my story is pretty similar to Melissa's as far as I wasn't looking to create a textbook, like it wasn't part of my, my plan. It, it certainly 
is something that's been very rewarding now that I've done it and a lot of work. But it wasn't part of my plan that when I got my DPT, you know, when I want to write a textbook, um, when I was first asked by Melissa to join the project, I said, you know what, I think I have a lot to contribute. You know, we, we had some conversations and, and we saw that this is a, uh, the fifth edition of the textbook. You know, the fact that it went to five editions and it has Chacon's name on it, you know, he is a pioneer in bringing pharmacology to our discipline. So we both had conversations about, wow, I hope we do this justice. You know, we really want to make sure that we're doing something to, to help it continue to evolve and grow. But I feel like our backgrounds, my specifically, and I know with Melissa, we've, we've discussed this, that we have something to, to add to the content now that we're moving towards really looking at value-based care and looking at things from a new lens and, and DE&I and all of these things. We really wanted to make sure that the book is reflective of updated culture. And so I, you know, I'll speak for myself. That's to me has been one of the most rewarding parts of this work is seeing all of the great work that's been there and seeing that this, there's work to do and that we really can update it to make it much more uh, useful. You know, the, the fifth edition was 2015. So, you know, it was time for an update. New meds are added. You know, we have uh, added stuff about COVID, you know, uh, vaccinations. So we needed to update the book, which we did. And we're happy with it, but we think the sixth edition is going to be a, you know, a bigger change with the table of contents. And uh, we're hoping that, uh, you know, that it'll be well received. That's awesome, man. I mean, you guys both kind of brought up a really good point. Uh, and that's, you know, you didn't plan to write a text, but it, it kind of just fell into your lap a little bit, right? It was an opportunity and you were there to seize it. And I think, you know, that's so huge in, in our careers, especially as physical therapists. Like I didn't plan on teaching, you know, I, I got, I finished my terminal degree in 2018 and thought, oh, I'll do that when I retire, you know, that'll be something fun to do. I'll teach. But then COVID hit and, you know, I decided to pivot a little bit and kind of exit out of the clinic and, you know, just being there and ready and available for those opportunities and seizing them when they come is, is, you know, a huge thing for, for everybody's career. But I think especially physical therapy, because we have such a great knowledge base and a great skill set. And I've been talking about this a lot lately. It opens the doors for us to do a lot of really cool things. We just have to be open to it. And we have to, you know, like I said, be ready to pounce on it when the opportunity does present itself. Just something to sort of add to that is, you know, um, you know, be, definitely being open to opportunities and there can be many of them. And sometimes you have to make choices and sometimes you sort of take advantage of opportunities that you think could lead to something. And unfortunately, sometimes they don't, but you know, you sort of have to, you have to kind of balance that. You know, I've certainly sort of started on projects that I thought had great potential and sort of didn't sort of end up the way I thought, but you know, so it's sort of difficult to tell at the very beginning, which ones will sort of lead to more and which ones might not. Yeah. A lot of them are worth taking the chance, though, at least. I'd like to add also the reason that Melissa and I both had this opportunity, I, I speak specifically for myself, is my involvement in APTA and my involvement in, uh, in the different committees and task forces and the academies really helped me network and, and get to know many people. But it also gave me the opportunity to get experience in creating different work products. If I had not had that background, then the idea of writing a textbook would certainly be overwhelming. Uh, but having had that background, I felt supported. I've, we've written other product, other monographs, each of us individually. We've created other resources for uh, home health, the third edition book. 
was published a few years ago. We're, we're updating the fourth edition book and Melissa said yes to being on that project. So that's great. So we've had a number of other publications. So I think writing a textbook is, is a really wonderful thing. It's all the other things that helped get us, get me to this point. And I think Melissa would echo the same sentiment that it's all of our other work that's got us to where we are now. I 100% agree. Yeah. And, and I, I'm, I've never been a big fan of, of luck, you know, like, oh, he's lucky or she's lucky or, oh, look how lucky they are. I feel like if you put in the work and if you do the right things to, to grow, you know, and, and really expand your comfort zones a little bit, network with the right people, get involved in those projects that may or may not turn into something, right? That's what leads to the opportunities and, and, you know, then you being available and ready to take those opportunities. It's not luck. You know, it's, it's a lot of hard work leading up to that, that point, you know, so I, I commend you guys both for, for doing all the hard work on the front end to now put together an even harder project on the back end, you know, so thank you guys for that and for, you know, doing what your part to advance the field. Let's talk a little bit about the collaboration process. It sounds like you guys are really good yin and yang to each other. There, it seems like between your experiences, there's enough differentiation, but also enough overlap that it really made sense to work together. I, I, I've written a book myself. It's not peer reviewed or anything like that. It's, you know, I wrote it by myself, but if I were to do a textbook, I think I would definitely want a team on board with me. I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't want to go at it alone. Talk a little bit about the collaboration process. What do you look for? What, you know, what works, what doesn't, if somebody was looking to start, you know, getting together to write a textbook with, with some people, what, what does that collaboration process look like? Actually, I'll share a story that I don't even know if I've actually told uh, Ken. So as I sort of mentioned, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, um, there's some sort of, you know, webinar series in that and sort of I got involved with one through the cardiovascular and pulmonary um, the academy. And it was about essentially COVID in, in the home. So how to sort of manage COVID. I mean, this we're talking like March of 2020. And I remember at the time sort of, you know, through my involvement with the cardiovascular and pulmonary academy, like, you know, I was sort of part of a group that said yes, and they sort of brought me in for my home health experience. And I sort of quickly realized, you know, I was just like, you know, yes, I have home health experience, but I'm also full-time in academia, you know, and Ken was somebody I thought of immediately in terms of home health. Like, so that's where I actually sort of reached out to him. And I just remember the very first, so as this group was putting together a webinar and everything, and this is sort of, you know, he responded to my, my email and you know, and he's sort of with his home health experience kind of helping to organize the group. So it was great. And I just remember as he's kind of like, you know, I, I you know, suggesting the bullet points to include, I was so impressed. I was like, he's so organized, his experience, he's able to convey it. So even from that first sort of planning meeting, which was a completely different project, um, I just remember, you know, I could just see that we kind of thought through the same way, through the same process. And, you know, we had that and then sort of our connection with home health. I mean, this was even before farm, you know, the connection with home health led to some pacer series, you know, a webinar and things like that. And, you know, from then on, you know, and at that point it was just he and I that collaborated on it. But just, I mean, I remember that very first uh, webinar, Ken, I don't know if you remember that as well, but I was just like, wow, it's like, he was just like, I suggest we do, you know, this, this, and this. And I was like, this is organized and great. Yeah, I, re I do remember that. Uh, when we got started back on Pacer and how you had asked me, and you actually even mentioned to me at one point, you know, you just took took the reins and you just gave us the outline and knew what we needed to do from your perspective, relating it to the home health audience that we wanted to, to reach. Uh, to answer your question in a different way in terms of collaboration, I'd have to say that part of my own leadership style in, in terms of 
being chair or director in the different roles I've had, I always look to try to find people that are not alike. Honestly, I try to find people that have different skill sets. So I look for people that have different uh, areas of practice, different uh, populations they work with. The last thing that I would want to have at a table where we're look, making con having conversations, making decisions, is to have a table of yes people. And so to me, that's really critical. So for the fourth edition book, we have over 27 uh, different contributors for the fourth edition handbook for home health. And so I was, I was sure to pick people from all the different regions of the country, people that worked in for-profit, worked in not-for-profit, hospital-based, non-hospital-based, freestanding, people that were in academia, people that were thinking about academia, people that did, had nothing, didn't want to do anything with academia, um, people that were working in the field, people that were administrators. So I really tried to get a broad representation because I think you're stronger when you're diverse. I mean, I, I really believe that you get a better product and you have better, richer conversations when you have uh, a variety of, of different influences there. Yeah, I mean, diversity is is huge and, and becoming more important, right, in our field lately. And I think getting out of that echo chamber, like you talked about, becomes really important. You don't want to box a yes men or yes women, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, bobbleheads just shaking along, right? But I think, you know, it, it also does seem like a really good idea to have somebody who's maybe different than, you know, each other so that their strengths kind of overshadow your weaknesses and vice versa, right? You can help them out with some of their weaknesses and, you know, you play into your strengths, they play into theirs. And all of a sudden you've got this great product with uh, two or three strengths all shining through. You know, I like that idea. Well, tell us a little bit about the writing process, right? I was an English major before I was a, a physical therapist. So I love writing. I, I ran into a brick wall when I got into scientific writing and realized that was a completely different beast and I couldn't just flower everything up and make it, you know, sound pretty. So tell us a little bit about your writing styles and, and the process of, of, you know, putting together, uh, you know, a, such a large project like a textbook. So I guess I'll start with this one. As far as the writing process, we were very fortunate for the fifth edition, but the fact that we were updating it. And for the fourth edition of the home health book, we're also updating the third edition. We already have outlines. We already have narrative to look at, to review and update. So that makes the process a little bit easier to follow with, instead of starting with a blank sheet of paper. As far as if we were starting with a blank sheet of paper, I would say that you would need to first know what's the purpose of what you're writing and then go from there to, to develop an outline and then just continue to flesh out the outline in terms of are we making sure that we we are reaching, you know, we're, we're we're coming back to the purpose of what we're what we're writing, and then as you um, as you flesh out the information, you then get the references and the citations to to show, you know, either side of what you're looking to research in terms of in terms of the home health product. Really, we wanted to make sure we were hitting all of the areas of home health in terms of practice, in terms of regulation. So. We had a nice outline and, and that's where really collaboration comes in to get all of the ideas on paper and making sure that you're not missing anything. So, you know, first thing is find out what the purpose is for what you're doing. And then from there, form an outline and then flesh out the outline and then definitely get stakeholder involvement out external stakeholders, internal stakeholders to look at it, to make sure that you're not missing anything. I mean, that's, that's how I 
you know, that's my recommendation. That's how I would, that's how I got started with what we put together. Uh, Melissa, what do you think? So I think, um, you know, having the opportunity, even though we did update the, um, the fifth edition, you know, we definitely did add some updated materials. So for example, um, an updated fifth edition that was just released for the pharmacology textbook, certainly since, you know, the 2015-16 when the fifth edition was released, there's been a lot more and out on, for example, pain management. So actually we identify that as an area that we wanted to include in the, in the update and sort of go, you know, so as we talked about it and had identified it, Ken has done some previous work. So he kind of took the lead. So I think going back, thinking about the, the different perspectives around the table. So even between he and I, he had done some previous work that um, on that. So it sort of made sense that he would take the lead. And then I'm sort of, you know, I, you know, we were, we, co-editors of this updated edition. So, I mean, I'm sort of providing feedback and then there were some other areas that I kind of took the lead on adding text and all of that too. So again, even within just the two of us, you know, we kind of come from certainly similar, but yet, you know, different experiences. So I think it's sort of a matter of taking advantage of that, you know, that, that pool of talent that you have around you, whatever project you're on and kind of uh, setting up a system that way. Yeah, and you know, Melissa, you just prompted me to come back to the, the book we, we purposely went through the table of contents together as a whole. And then after we looked through that, then we actually went through the chapters. And so we did not write the whole thing all at once. We were writing it chapter by chapter, you know, topic by topic. Uh, honestly, if I were to look at the whole thing and say, I got to start writing all of these chapters at once, that just would have been an overwhelming project. So we just broke it down and we did, you know, we actually did it unit by unit within the unit. We broke the unit down to whatever number of chapters it had. And then we just worked through it together, and then we would we would meet and review our what we our, our edits and our and our new content. Yes, that makes sense. No, that doesn't. We need to tweak it. We need this or that. And so it was a really good collaboration that we, that we've had. Um, it's funny how how we complement each other so much, and it just started from a cold phone call. You know, where it's like, I, I know you we're in the similar circles. Would you like to be involved in in this? And and it was a pacer, not even. The, the book itself at that point. And I'm like, sure, let's see how, let's get together and work on it. And, uh, you know, it was, it was very, uh, very good to work on and very enjoyable to be able to, to collaborate and make some, uh, some good things happen for, for people that were in the field at that point, they needed information about COVID and we got it out within a couple of weeks. So we were really proud that we could turn things around very quickly. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you know, I, I think the takeaway from that for me at least is don't be afraid to reach out you know people are out there if, if you admire what they're doing you like what they're doing you kind of dig their vibe just reach out you know gotta ask i i even remember when i sent the email you know i kind of sure responded within 24 hours but the first 12 i was like maybe he's not going to respond maybe he's not going to respond <laughs> uh yeah it's it's tough you know like I've, I've been the fanboy before i've reached out to people and been like oh my goodness i wonder if they're going to respond you know, the, and they, sure enough, they do. It's, you know, it's crazy. People are, are just people, you know, they put their pants on the same way as, as, as we all do. So, uh, Melissa, that brings me up to a, a good point that you kind of talked about a little bit, you touched on, but you guys are co-editors for, for this book. What, what does the editing process look like? What, are, what is it like to be an editor? What is, what does that, you know, look like when it comes to textbooks and, and, you know, working on that, that process? 
So, I mean, like Ken kind of outlined the way our approach was. And, you know, again, I, I personally have never been part of a textbook. So we're kind of, you know, on the one hand collaborating. So kind of figuring out the process between the two of us, as well as a new project. Ken had, you know, brought experience from the PT in the home from the third edition. Um, so just kind of reading through it and the sort of the approach we took that kind of worked for, you know, this particular situation is, you know, we would sort of set up an assignment and each independently review whatever, you know, whether it's a unit or a chapter, we each had our own way of making notes and then we'd get together. I mean, you know, springs or winter, spring of 2021, you know, I had many, many Saturday morning Zoom sessions with Ken because then we would sort of talk through like, you know, and sort of, oh, I missed that or, you know, he, you know, I picked up something or, you know, whatever the case may be. And we sort of kind of, you know, we're able to independently review and then come together. Um, so that's why, you know, I also think, you know, there's, there's challenges sometimes with group size. I mean, uh, certainly the larger of a group, you get so many more perspectives and you can get such a rich product, but then sometimes the, the logistics get challenging. So just with the two of us, you know, this is the approach we sort of took, sort of independently review and then come back and sort of blend our, our comments. Yeah, you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. I know how that exactly. gets. Well, awesome. Ken, did you have anything to add about it, the editing process or anything you want to talk about from an editing standpoint? Yeah, I think that it's important for anyone that is looking to write either peer-reviewed articles included. It's a similar process in terms of having it reviewed. Uh, once it gets accepted for publication, then it's a matter of looking at these different proofs. You know, you'll get proofs that are typeset and this is what it will look like. And they'll ask you to review it for uh, grammatical mistakes, typos. And so with regards to the, uh, the books that I've done and Melissa and I have done together, it really comes back to you look at all of the tables, make sure there's no mistakes in the tables. You look at all of the figures, make sure that any of the figures that they're drawn the way they're supposed to be drawn and that, you know, they're labeled correctly with the correct colors and things like that. So you look at all of the artwork separately. You look at all the figures and tables separately. All of those are separate documents from the, the uh, PDF document, which is the proof of the actual narrative. And then at the very end, they put it all together as a one single PDF document that you then look through, uh, you know, section by section and then just provide comments back. Or they'll be asking questions saying, is this what you meant by this? Is this what you wanted here? Is this correct? And so then you just address any of the questions that the publisher may have or the, uh, the, uh, the managing editor may have. And then once you have a final proof that everyone has agreed on, then, they, then it goes to production and then it's out of your hands. And then you wait a few weeks or months until you get the copy in your, you know, a copy in your hand. And, um, you know, and you go from there and then you take a look at it. And, and no matter how many times you look at it, there's always things you find after the fact with a, uh, a misspelled word or a capital missing or, a, you know, a comma. Um, but you do the best you can. And in the end, you have a nice product. Which, which actually brings up a good point is, you know, we were, you know, um, editing this, this uh, fifth edition. And I think I was surprised myself and, you know, sort of going through this process for the first time that even, you know, we we're providing updates. After we had provided the updates, we actually went through two more rounds of review. So like the, the publisher actually sent, you know, the aspects of the, the textbook sort of in chunks to sort of review two more times. So, I mean, it's not just a, you know, submit it and somebody else proofreads it and then, it, then it's gone. So, you know, um, looking forward to, you know, sort of just anticipating that because I really wasn't anticipating that. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's ne- the work is never done, right? There's a, there's always more and more and more that can be done to it, but at some point you got to submit it and just say, Hey, it is what it is. Go forth and, and learn. Right. Um, so you talked a little bit about publishing uh, and, and the publishers. Uh, it sounds like, you know, you, with the books that you guys are working on, they've already, they already had a publisher in place. You were just kind of updating and editing and getting it up to the, the latest edition. What is the publication process like? What, you know, is, is there any recommendations you can give for working with a publisher or what, what's your, maybe what are some things we should be looking for if we're trying to find a publisher? How does that process work? You know, I'll, I'll start and then Melissa, please add anything that you feel needs to be added. If somebody is, has an idea for writing a book, you know, they're like, you know what, this is something that needs to be out there and, and I don't see it anywhere. Then the first thing that I would do is, is, to, is to sketch out what a table of contents would look like. Like, what, what, you know, what's the purpose of what you're looking to create? And then that table of contents really forms the outline. And then at that point, I would recommend looking at the different publishers that um, you would be willing to work with for to publish your book. You know, there are different publishers like F.A. Davis, which is, you know, where the Chacon textbook is. You know, there's also other publishers like uh, Slack. So there's different, all different publishers. And I, I would look at their websites to see if what you're looking to publish, they've published already. Because if they have a textbook with that same topic, they're probably not going to publish a second book on the same idea. So that's the first thing I would do is look to see if it's been published elsewhere. And if it hasn't, then the second thing is if you see multiple publishers where it hasn't, it's not published, and you that's when I would look and see what does the publisher look like in terms of is it a large publisher, is it an independent publisher? How do they, you know, are they well known and established? Are they a newer, you know, upstart? You know, because there's there's benefits to, to each of those different types of structures in terms of the publisher. And then once once uh, it's determined which uh, publisher you may want to go with, then it's a matter of having an elevator, you know, an elevator speech to try to to try to contact uh, the publisher and then, you know, share the idea. I would just be careful with, you know, sharing ideas, just like anything with patents or whatever, you know, sharing an idea may go to someone else to then take the idea and run with it. So, I mean, you just need to be aware of and you know, careful what you say, when you say it uh, to who. I definitely agree with that. And actually, um, actually recently seeing a colleague, you sort of do exactly that. And every, I sort of, you know, witnessed every step that Ken just described. She had an idea for a book, sought out a publisher, you know, worked through it and actually was just successful in, um, you know, getting published as well. I think the other thing, like all things in certainly physical therapy and in life is communication. You know, our, our path has been a little bit different in the fact that you know, F.A. Davis was looking for some authors to continue this, so sort of sought us out, and we have a couple contacts within F.A. Davis, and that's been certainly extremely helpful for any questions, and just, you know, as we're learning about the process, you know, the number of rounds of edition, or the number of rounds of edits, and, you know, I remember at one point I was, like, sort of asking, I was like, how many rounds are we going to have, you know, so just, again, that, <laughs> that communication and everything, you know, like all things is, is really important, so, Ken did a great job of outlining how to sort of, you know, connect with a publisher, but then sort of once you make that connection, you know, they're certainly willing to answer any questions, you know, from their different departments, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, 
at, at the end of the day, it's about relationships, I think, right? And you've got to feel good about the the relationship uh, with your publisher. I ended up eventually just self-publishing my book because, like I said, it wasn't a peer review process or anything like that that needed to be, uh, you know, vetted heavily. But I think realistically, you know, especially in the world of textbooks, it seems like publishers have a good portion of the work to do, even after you've done all the work, now they've got to get it out there and they've got to sell it, right? That's the next step. So let's, let's talk about this kind of final phase here. What about marketing? Uh, what does that look like? How much do you have to do versus how much does the publisher have to do versus how much is just kind of done for you because it's the literal textbook on it, you know? Um, and then I guess the, the, my, my question then is, well, then what's next? Right. Once you guys are, have done this, you've put it out there to the world, it's published and it's, you know, cranking in money left and right. You know, you guys are making the big bucks. What comes next? Right. So talk a little bit about the, that marketing process and then maybe what that leads into and what's on the horizon. So I'll start us with this one. As far as marketing for the Chacon textbook with F.A. Davis, Really, that's in their court. You know, they have all of the connections. You know, they know how they're distributing the book. They know what ways uh, to, to package the book in terms of electronic formatting. So really, that, that's one thing that is us as authors, you know, or editors for the fifth edition update, we leave that to them. That's their expertise. So that's something that we leave towards, towards their hands. If it's an independent publication, then, then marketing could be looking to tap into the circles you know, who's your audience. So we have had those conversations of, of making sure that what we're writing is for the audience that they want to market to. So you do need to have an understanding of what the process is, even though we're not in the weeds with the process. You know, we needed to know up front, this is a textbook that's for DPT students and entry-level programs. Like we needed to know it's, it's for uh, rehab professionals. So those are things that we needed to have that conversation. But in terms of who to reach out to and when and, and like the booksellers and all of that, that's something that's really out of our out of our purview in terms of for F.A. Davis. I don't know what other book publishers would be doing, but we're not involved in that process with F.A. Davis. So just uh, just to sort of add to that, and in our particular case, the, the Chacon Pharmacology book is well known. So we're sort of continuing work. So the word is already out there. You know, people are excited to hear that it'll you know, be updated, you know, which is which is a great thing. I don't know, Ken, I don't know if you, I mean, this is before I was involved with it. Is there anything when you, for example, the third edition of the PT in the home? So that was a new, you know, I guess you had the first and the second edition, but that was a little bit different in terms of the publishing process. I don't know if there's anything that might be helpful to talk about there. So actually that, you know, you bring up a good point. When we created the third edition, our audience was for clinicians that were practicing in the home, whether they were new clinicians or they were seasoned clinicians. Our, our, our primary target audience were clinicians. But aside from that, we wanted to make a resource that was also good for regulators to have. You know, we wanted to try to identify and define what the scope of PT practices in the home from a PT's point of view and not have it all dictated. And so where there was gray area, we purposely put in the book what, you know, what was gray, what was not in the third edition. And so at the end of that product, one way that we marketed that book was we actually sent it to all 50 state boards to have that, to have that book. So we made sure that it was out there and that all the, all the 
state boards had the book. We also marketed it through the APTA Learning Center, uh, not through the Learning Center, the APTA store, I should say. And so we knew our marketing would be through the APTA mothership uh, and through the home health section at that point. So it was available online that way. And uh, for the fourth edition, the one that we're currently writing, the plan for that is probably to be published through the uh, Academy of Home Health by itself. I don't know what the, the final plan will be, but the goal of for this book is really, again, for practicing clinicians. But we wanted to make sure that it's also applicable for PT school, knowing that PTs are going from, you know, from their didactic into their clinical work and then right into practice in the home health setting. So we, we felt that this is a book that, that is an area that's really not discussed very much in academia in terms of the home health setting. So we wanted to add that, add that knowledge to, uh, to entry-level practice through, this, uh, through the book. Yeah, that's awesome. I teach um, PCM2, which kind of talks about uh, a bunch of different settings that we can go into as physical therapists, and home health is one of them. It's the last one, uh, but uh, being a former home health therapist, I like to harp on it a little bit more than you know, some of the other sections, just because that's my passion. So, and I have a ton of people that are constantly asking me questions about home health and is it worth it? What about this? Do you feel scared? Are you on your own little island? How does it work? You know, so um, I'm sure that'll be a, a great resource for them to kind of turn to. So I appreciate that. But like I said, what's next for you guys? What's on the horizon? Are you got more textbooks lined up? Are you one and done? That was enough. What are you guys working on next? Well, we are in the process of moving towards starting the sixth edition. So that's, that's really the next big project is the sixth edition, which will be a total, a total uh, rewrite, new table of contents for the uh, pharmacology text. And we're looking to add uh, more content related to clinical practice. You know, we all know what happened with COVID. And so we wanted to add more information regarding what does clinical practice look like in terms of uh, precautions, contact precautions and things like that. And people are like, yeah, well, that's not a pharmacology textbook. Well, it really is when we talk about wound care and we talk about these other aspects of PT practice, um, universal precautions is, is uh, embedded and uh, contact-based precautions and also all of the other isolation precautions. We want to, we're, we're looking to see how that would fit into a textbook so that it's compre comprehensive. I feel like that, you know, sort of, we just sort of, again, being open opportunities sort of ended up in a great spot in the, the opportunity to update the fifth edition. So we got a little bit of a taste of the process, um, but essentially what Ken and I are starting to embark on now is going to be a multi-year process, you know, so it'll be a few years, um, you know, before I see me, see my way out. So um, in my mind, coming off the, you know, the co-editors, the fifth edition update, the sixth edition is the next next step, and you know, as he indicated, you know, a whole new table of contents. So there will be a lot more, a lot more, um, you know, writing. So you know, it'd be great, you know, to to be associated with this this textbook for a little while. It'd be a great opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have to have you guys on again in a couple of years when the next edition's out. We'll 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 give the <laughs> update. Well, guys, we have one final question that we like to ask all of our guests, and that question is. If you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? Melissa, we'll start with you. Oh, I might need a minute to think. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ken, Ken, you've done it already. So get, go ahead and give us your updated version then. We'll give Melissa a minute. I'm very curious to what I had said back in 
2017 for the when we uh, I was last on your show. Yeah, I'll, have I would, to go, I'll look it up for you. You'll have to I'll take a look and see the yeah. comparison. But I would have to say that the, the most important thing I think that we need to do in, in PT, and I'm really very passionate about it, and it's a little bit uh, aside from the pharmacology content, I think we absolutely have to look where we are and where we're going to be in five years. And if we are going to be visionary, then we need to the incorporate new technology into our curriculum. We need to have therapists graduating with that technology, and we need to make sure we're reimbursed for it. Using diagnostic ultrasound is a key part. Um, we hear about the expansion of blood flow restriction and how that may be beneficial for certain populations. Uh, there are people that are on the bandwagon with uh, dry needling and other things. And I'm not looking to say we need to just jump on board a specific intervention. I'm saying we need to really look at how we do practice and make sure that we are doing as much as we can to stay technologically advanced. Uh, when I see clinicians pace out 10 feet for their timed up and go, and they, we know that there are other ways of measuring that distance, and it looks very unprofessional, that is the optics that we show. And then we get paid for those optics. So I, I think that there are ways of doing things that are, are much more um, technologically um, sound and more accurate. And that's really, I think we need to look at where we are and where we need to be. Otherwise, yeah. we fall behind. If we're not growing, we're dying. Um, so... That's yeah, my well, soapbox. <laughs> tele, telehealth, right? I mean, that's that's a big one. And yeah, we, telehealth, you know, exactly. We showed very, you know, I think pretty confidently we were able to do very well with that over COVID. And now we're having to fight for it again and make sure that it's, you know, still reimbursable because right now they're looking to pull it away again. So we're right back to square one. Um, so I agree. I think that's a good initiative is to use the technolo technological advancements and make sure that we're staying, you know, finger on the pulse at least of what's out there and how we can better improve our, our patient care for sure. Melissa, you're up. So, you know, I guess, I guess we'll just have to trust my, me saying this, but as, you know, Ken started talking, I'm sort of formulating my thought and, you know, I think this just goes to show, right. We're kind of, you know, how well we collaborate. Cause I had a similar, but yet a little bit of a different twist in terms of, you know, with higher education, you know, certainly you know, thinking about physical therapy is connecting the clinic in, you know, connecting clinical practice with education. So for example, you know, being in education, I think there's things that I have to teach, um, knowing that, for example, you know, the, you know, the national boards, et cetera, um, are requiring it. But I mean, from a clinical practice perspective, they're not really done versus, you know, sort of the, you know, you have to get the, you have to get those things in and you might not have time for more of the contemporary type of, of things that we're seeing in practice. So, you know, sort of kind of matching, you know, the pace of which clinical practice changes with that, you know, the pace, which is much slower, the higher education, you know, and just the processes thinking, you know, about, you know, accreditation and, you know, national boards. I mean, yes, there, you know, there are updates, you know, all the time, but it's a much slower process than what we're seeing in the clinic. You know, all the evidence that's coming out, you know, I think we're doing a pretty good job as a profession of trying to trying our best to keep up with it, but it's not reflected in the entry level education. So I think, you know, I'd like to see, see that sort of continue to improve. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons this podcast was started, right, to try to connect that bridge between the ivory tower of academia and, and clinical work, right? you know, it, there, there's sort of a disconnect there and, and we need to find ways to just bridge that gap and, and make it a little more seamless, I think, going from learning in the classroom setting to now learning in the real world setting. So I can exactly. definitely appreciate that for sure. 
Well, guys, thank you so much for taking your time and for coming on the show and uh, educating the audience on all things textbook. Uh, like I said, this was a first. Uh, we have 260 some odd episodes, and this was our first time talking about textbooks. So I'm glad that we got the conversation started, at least. I'm now a lot more interested in the process. So, you know, who knows if that opportunity comes, I may just have to, to seize it. Um, where can people reach out to you? Where can they find you on uh, social media or email or whatever if they have follow-up questions or just want to see what you guys are up to? So I think the easiest way to find me on social media would be through Twitter. My Twitter handle is, is at uh, K-E-N-M-P-T. So that's pretty easy. If you search, if you Google my name, you probably will find me You know, with some of the different pro- projects that I've been on. Uh, University of North Texas, you could easily find my email there. So I think I'm pretty easy to find on the net. (laughs) So admittedly, actually, I had to think, you know, I do have Twitter, but I'll admit that actually at this point, I actually sort of just follow things. Um, I'm not really active in terms of posting, um, but ML Bidnark is is out there. I actually haven't had to think. I was like, what is my Twitter? Um, But yeah, I mean, certainly just Googling through, you know, my contacts through uh, the program at Chatham is probably the best. And we'll put all those links in the show notes so people can reach out to you. Thank you again so much for your time. And like I said, I look forward to uh, catching up with you guys in a couple of years when the next editions are out. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, Scott, I'd like to add one last thing. Thank you very much again for having us. But I I want to give a shout out to Jennifer Pine from F.A. Davis, because she's the one who had she reached out coldly, you know, a cold call to Melissa to get this project first started. So you know, she showed trust in in our in Melissa and myself. So, I would like to thank thank her for uh, for the trust that she has in us to to, uh, to build on Doctor uh, Chacon's work. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you guys are working on on the Bible of pharmacology, so this is uh, this is pretty neat. You know, I mean, you guys are getting to take the ball and run with it. So, uh, you know, anybody who can put that project together, shout out to them. You know, that's awesome. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. And the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.